Coming up on Zone 1 Digest, London Arts correspondent Jenny Runacre talks to Boris Johnson's dad about a polar bear. Trust me, that sentence made more sense than it seems. Actually, this is modelled on the largest polar bear ever encountered in the wild. I mean, 13 foot, that is something. London Life talked to intrepid explorer Robin Handbury Tennyson. Can we just have a look? Yeah, let's wander around. So we're looking at this lady who's got um, the lady with the ears. And she's, she's stretched her ears way out and she's got these two... They look about the thickness of my thumb, these two bangles that she's got. They're very heavy. Through her. Very heavy. And Matthew Layton talks to sports presenter Jake Humphrey about ten months ago. Yeah. Well, if there's one bottle of champagne Mark Webber's yet to enjoy, it's the bottle of champagne that the winner gets to drink. This is Zone 1 Digest. We know we're rough sometimes, but you love it really.
radio.com. You're listening to Zone One Digest, regular roundups of the best of Central London's community radio station, Zone One Radio, funded by the man himself, Mayor of London, Boris Johnson, who occasionally moonlights on this station. I'm Stuart Hardy, bearded hobgoblin, whose job it is to insult and belittle our presenters. I scared them off this week, so I've only had a couple of shows to play with. One such show is a London art special on sculpture, and unfortunately I won't be making my usual snide, snarky jokes about London arts this week, because Commander Finney looks quite scary with a chainsaw and I wouldn't want to get on her bad side. This edition of London Arts comes complete with Boris Johnson's dad Stanley talking about an ice sculpture of a polar bear. I bet you didn't see that one coming. Facebook.com slash So welcome once again to London Arts folks. And we were actually hoping today to bring you an in-depth piece about the Anthony Gormley exhibition at the White Cube Gallery in Birmingham. But, believe it or not, they didn't want to speak to us. Not at all. But this show isn't about stuffy London galleries or stuffy anything at all. So we have been out scouring London for sculpture in action. Coming up in today's show, we have the sound of sculpting from the International Ice Sculpting Competition in Canary Wharf. also going to show sculpture being used as a tool in an ecological campaign. Well, I'm Stanley Johnson. I'm a long-term environmentalist. I'm a former member of the European Parliament. I'm an author. My latest book, which I stress has just come out, is called Where the Wild Things Were. Travels of conservation is all about what happens to wild animals and why they're facing threats of extinction. And that is why launching, unveiling this statue today, this fantastic statue by Adam Binder. This is a 13-foot high statue made out of bronze. You wouldn't believe it. It doesn't look like bronze, but it is bronze of a polar bear. Actually, this is modelled on the largest polar bear ever encountered in the wild. I mean, 13-foot, that is something. Why are we doing this today? We are doing it because we have just a little window of opportunity, just a few days left to persuade the British government, the UK government, to vote in favour of an international ban on trading in polar bears and in parts of polar bears. I mean, there are 20 or 25,000 bears left in the wild, only 20 or 25,000. You look at it, what do they do? They get 6,500 pounds for a pelt. They get 630 pounds for a skull. If they had a whole skin or a whole part of a bear, I mean, it would be fantastic. But uh, so these bears are being killed their pelts are being sold and you know they just don't need it they've got enough threats with global warming you know they haven't said it just just enough so what are we trying to do we're trying to get the British government firmly to say we want to have an international ban and that means because the British government is part of the EU the European Union and they have to persuade the EU so that all 27 countries of the EU vote for the international ban and when is that vote going to happen it's going to happen in Bangkok 
in March because an organization called the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, C-I-T-E-S, CITES, is going to vote on this and other issues between March 3rd and March 14th. And that's why we have to appeal to David Cameron. We have not to, to come out the EU. Uh, well, we have, he's not going to come out before March anyway. But we have to appeal to him to be absolutely clear. Yes, the UK government wants to see a ban in the trade of polar bears and polar bear skins and polar bear parts. And um, that's what they've got to do. And it'd be ludicrous if they didn't. So we're not in, and what did Cameron do when he became leader of the Tory party? Where's the first place he went to? He went up to the high Arctic, you know, and he got in a sledge and had dogs and rushed yeah. around. Well, the polar bear is a crucial part of the, of the high Arctic. Yeah, we need to keep, uh, we jolly well keep, need keep to them keep safe. <laughs> and thank you two for coming. I'm sorry we didn't thank have you. any snow on the polar bear it's today. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I feel it's coming. 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 Yes. Anyway, look, so it's very important yes. to get your readers, get your listeners, make sure they get hold of their MPs um, and tell their MPs to make sure they pressure the Minister of Environment and David Cameron and William Hague, the Foreign Secretary, to be absolutely clear, protecting polar bears is our national interest. Thank you very, very much. Pleasure, pleasure. Hey, 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 thank you for coming. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. London Arts can be heard every week on zone1radio.com. Zone1radio.com. This is Zone One Digest, the tasty treat to start the week with. That seriously was the lamest, cheesiest way of describing this show, wasn't it? Okay, regain some of my cool credibility here. Okay, this is the show where I tie up Zone One Radio's radio producers in my basement and force feed them severed limbs until they surrender their best clips to me. Okay, too far. Um, basically, this is the show where I put clips together and, and talk about them, yeah? 
I mean, you've been listening for 10 minutes already. You should have got what I'm doing by now. Pay attention. Right, so, going with the theme of exploration and discovery that I just randomly pulled from this hat, next up we got a clip from London Life, the show about life in London, where silly Mr Ian Hawkins, a man named Ian Hawkins who is silly, spoke to Robin Hanbury Tennyson, who's travelled the globe into uncharted territory, meeting indigenous tribes and showing how humour is the best way to communicate. And he's also, ironically enough, been on Desert Island Discs. The jokes about that probably wrote themselves on that edition. Anyway, let's head over to Ian Hawkins for more. And who should I meet, have to meet there but none other than Robin Hanbury Tennyson? Who's he? I don't give you who's he. Stay listening, Ollie. Had no. Yeah, no but I want, a, I want a bit of background. You want me to entice you into listening? I'm, I'm playing the role of the ignorant listener. I want you to tell me no, what I'm about to right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what is he? He's an explorer. He was he he went to explored bits of Asia and the Far East in the 1950s, and also he he talks to people who are not uh, not part of the Western world and who have no desire to become part of the Western world, and that's that's where he's from. And he also is a is a very good photographer and is a, an author of books. and uh, And as you will hear, splendid. Top rate fellow. This is Songwang Radio. This is Mandalay, the palace at Mandalay, which was um, destroyed by General Slim at the end of the war, getting rid of the Japanese who were there. And it was just magical then. Sure. Now there's a motorway across the front, concrete stuff. People still go into the Whereas palace. previously, I mean, how old is this, this That's building? That's 58. Now, the building was built in the uh, well, the, the Great Kingdom was actually in the 18th century, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, but uh, but this was tw- these were all built in twelve twelve fifties, and are these incredibly thirteenth century, yeah. amazing temples. Most of them have lost their stucco now, and as a red brick on the outside, there's not many that have still got the stucco on. But and they, the, this this lost its head. This huge Buddha um, in the earthquake. This may be the only photograph of it with its original head, as destroyed by Kublai Khan in twelve sixty seven. In 1975, the head fell off, and they've now oh. put just queer concrete blocks back up. So that's what tourists see today. That's what it was really like. Okay. And this all, all about how people were back 40, 50, 50 years ago, when I was lucky enough to be traveling with them. And I mean, girls with ears like that, long earrings, mm-hmm. um, you know, were very proud and beautiful like that. But now they've all had them sewn up because they get laughed at in the supermarket. Right. But uh, our so teenagers in, in the now, su- in now supermarket we're all in doing Camden, it. Exactly. We're all doing Precisely. <laughs> nice point. Well, yes. That's how, how it works. That'll, like, that'll keep in the edit, that one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> there won't be too many more of those. No. Robin, what, um, it occurs to me you're very keen on conservation, but it seems to me that the thing that you're interested in conserving is this uh, is the human. I've always been more people, both a people person and a wildlife, because my other big thing was, was rainforests. I, mm-hmm. I led this big expedition that sort of put rainforests on the map in the 70s. Mm-hmm. <coughs> when we sort of cracked the rainforest code and showed how important rainforests were. And so I've been very lucky in being involved in two major world movements, which are bringing the existence and the importance of uh, tribal people to notice the world, and also... Um, getting the whole rainforest movement going. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I don't take credit for having made it happen, but I have been part of those two processes, which is very exciting. 
Can we just have a look yeah, at let's some, of the, some of the bits and bobs? So we're looking at this lady who's got um, the lady with the ears. And she's, she's stretched her ears way out and she's got these two... They look about the thickness of my thumb, these two bangles that she's got. They're very heavy. Through her. Very heavy. And they start... Come with me and I will show you how they start. They start with... Uh, very young, with the children. You can see that, that one, that little child, is already stretching her ears. And that's about... And that was the same longhouse that I was in as, as where... In the heart of Borneo, where I photographed that girl. And she's not much more than a baby and she's got... Looks like napkin rings through her ears. Well, they'll be quite heavy little brass rings, which mm. gradually stretch them down. And this is very familiar all over the world with all sorts of cultures. I mean, this is in a different people, the Banan, with, um, you know, he's got large cork through his ear. Um, in Brazil, with the people um, with the lip discs. Um, so piercing uh, the body mm. and stretching earlobes and lips and so on uh, is nothing new. But what, what, what do they make of you when you turn up? I, if I might say, a, a fine but un... Well, it's, it, it is a very good question. It's a very good question because it's a, it's a very uh, delicate issue. First of all, in, it all depends on the length of contact with people. If people have only been fairly recently contacted and still have... Uh, relatively little immunity to our diseases, then you have to be extremely uh, careful not to go in with a cold or any of our diseases, which which can be absolutely fatal to them. Um, so there is a huge responsibility in, in, in that. Um, but as to the reaction, I mean, these were all people who had had contact. I'm not in the business of making first contact. That's another whole thing. Survival International is very involved in um, defending uncontacted people from having their land taken from them before they're, they're, they're even much aware of our existence, although they're very aware of our existence, but they've made it quite clear they wish to be left alone. And um, so we respect that. Um, but these are people who have had some or a lot of contact over the years, but still certainly then uh, retained their culture to a very strong degree. And um, so they were well, usually well able to cope with an outsider coming in, but very suspicious because most of their contacts with the outside world have been very unsatisfactory. They've had um, uh, either missionaries or government officials or uh, settlers or prospectors who've come in and um, very often been violent and uh, enslaved them. And so there is a caution. And I think if I have... If I bring anything to this uh, photographic um, era, it was that I spent a lot of time with these people very quietly, not necessarily photographing for the first day or two, um, gaining trust, gaining respect, showing that I wasn't trying to change things. I wasn't coming in um, full of new ideas, which they were, were going to threaten them, but were treating them with respect. And I hope that comes through in some of the photographs, that they are recognizing my um, affinity with them and, and I am recognizing the fact that they are the same as we are. It's just a question of uh, getting past the superficial differences. Um, but everybody has the same sense of humor. Everybody is the same underneath.
London Rickney Hood every week on zone1radio.com zone1radio.com you're listening to Zone One Digest, the best of Zone One Radio and refuge of the untalented little snarky goblin man where, who rips people's shows to pieces and pastes them together and passes it off as his own work. I'm Stuart Hardy, that's Troll, and this week our host site Mixcloud unveiled their top 50 shows of the whole world in 2012. Zone One Radio got two shows in the top 50 in the whole world. And I'm about to play to you a clip from number 49, In Good Taste, with an episode that they made, which you may remember because it was featured on this show, where the theme was moustaches. Make of that what you will. Have a listen. This is to the In Good Taste kitchen, where Lucy is making one of Simon's recipes from the official Movember cookbook. For all you Mobos out there, this is a perfect recipe to cook at your own November dinner party, so listen up and give it a go. We'll be cooking arroz el horno with fresh tomato sauce, a Spanish dish from the district of Valencia. Let's begin with making the tomato sauce. So you need to start off with one white Spanish onion and chop that up nice and finely. saucepan and heat up some olive oil into it and then saute your diced white onion until it's soft for about three minutes. Onions have softened, chop up eight plum tomatoes and add them to the mix. And saute on medium heat until tomatoes have started to break down. Arroz al horno is a Spanish dish from the region of Valencia. It literally means oven-baked rice, and it's a really traditional and tasty recipe. 
It's so celebrated in the region that the town Zapia in Valencia has a festival held entirely in its honour. And so tonight, in its honour, and in honour of Simon Fernandez in November, we're going to be cooking it. So we'll let that just simmer away for about five minutes.
Hello. Trolls can be heard every week on zone1radio.com. This is Zone1 Radio. Hello, listeners. You're listening to Zone One Digest, the best of Zone One Radio, and that was in good taste, featuring at number 49 in Mixcloud's top 50 shows of the year. And yes, we did get another show in the top 50, and I would like to announce the other place that we got. Drum roll, please. And the other place that Zone One Radio got in Mixcloud's top 50 of 2012 is. Number 26, it's Matthew Layton's London GP show, in which he spoke to a lot of people from the BBC with proper Wikipedia pages about them and everything, including Jake Humphrey. Do you want to know some other interesting facts about the number 26? It's not number 49, a fact that Matthew has been incredibly proud of. So much so that my record at most complaints received about me on this station so far has been beaten. For a show about food, Inga Taste have been surprisingly bitter about it. Matthew's also asked me to uh, read out the following statements. Uh, Dear In Good Taste, I received the foot in the mail. I will give you anything you want, just please give me my puppy back. Um, um, so yeah, more updates on that situation as it develops into full-on legal action. Uh, that's about all I can be bothered to stick around for this week, so I'll just leave you with a clip from Matthew with the 26th best show of the year. Not 49th like In Good Taste just to rub it in their faces some more. Stay tuned to all the great content coming up every week on Zone1Radio.com. And finally, here's my interview with Mr. Jake Humphrey. How are you? Very good, are you? Yeah, good. I can't believe I'm actually here in this beautiful sort of wood-panelled room. I know. This um, is where the decisions on the past grandeurs of the BBC were taken. There is, in the, yeah. it, there's still a plaque in Latin. Yeah, just uh, out the door. In, in reception. Yeah. Very posh. Yeah, that's the BBC for you. That's the BBC. Well, actually, I need your advice. Go on, then. Um, I have been invited to audition as a television presenter by the presentable team. I'm visually impaired. Good. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, a, a mate of mine just said, why don't you go for this? And okay. I did. And um, I don't understand how you do what you do. I, I'm a, a radio person. Right. Right now, I'm going to play the clip from your blog last year. Of oh, what yeah, the yeah, open, yeah. The open feed in your okay, ear sounds yeah. like. Stand by, Jake. Stand, stand by, Jake. Stand by, Jake. Coming to Sam's shot next. Right, cue, Jake. Well, if there's one bottle of champagne Mark Webber's yet to enjoy, it's the bottle of champagne that the winner gets to drink. And there still he is up on the podium. podium, enjoying himself, and well he might. Australia have waited 28 years for a Grand Prix winner. Mark Webber's waited 130 races to be up there on the top step, and it was emotional listening to his release of emotion in the cockpit, wasn't it? Well, it was. Uh, it went on a long time. That was a sort of when was a Harry Met Sally moment, wasn't it? <laughs> he, uh, he definitely let it all go there, and he must be delighted. It's been a long time, you should say, and he's not much of a drinker. But I've got a funny feeling he'll be tasting some of that champagne now. Well, he's had a good plug of it already. I, I dare say the team will have a few bottles. Wrong world, Um It's worth talking about the way that Mark has changed actually over this talking. weekend because after qualifying, it, we were quite surprised with his low-key reaction. I think he knew that he was going to save that for the win. Well, we also said on air that um, right at the very beginning, first qualifying, he was on the pace. The second one, the third one. He knew in his mind that it was a big moment. Uh, He grasped it. He grasped it with hand. Even when, you know, that 
later on but when he got the drive through penalty I agree with David it was a little bit harsh um, and I thought that was it it was wrong he's not going to be his day and uh, out of the blue he pulled it out of the way it was majestic he was supreme he was miles ahead of anyone else Vettel could not live with him no one could live with him today he was majestic so Mark Webber gets his first win but he's not the only guy in Team Webber to get that first win Karen Pilbeam as well Karen you are Mark's race engineer and your first win as well in Formula 1 tell us your emotions we both both waited quite a long time for it and it just feels fantastic that's utter madness. <laughs> it's utter madness, yeah. Do you know what's interesting, actually? When I'm there and I've got my earpieces in and I'm standing in the pit lane, it doesn't freak me out. It doesn't get me nervous. I feel like I'm at work. You know, as soon as I put those earpieces on and I can hear the gallery, I feel comfortable, I feel good. When I uploaded that on the internet and listened to it at home a couple of days after the race, my God, I was nervous. I was thinking, who is this guy, you know, listening to this count in his ear and starting yeah. talking at the right time and making those decisions about how broadcasting works on the fly? And the, the, I think the trick is... There's two things really. A, not to think about the audience at home. You know, if we've got six million people watching, which you're going to have on a, on a regular yeah. basis. If we've got six million people, my coffee's just arrived, which nice doesn't work for radio, does it? No, it does. I'll describe it. It's a very sort of soupy grey colour. Mm. I think a proper BBC. What Terry Wogan used to call yeah, BBC hospitality. That is, that is a BBC-esque cup of coffee. <laughs> it really does look hey, awful. The good thing is, since Terry's left Radio 2, the catering got no better. <laughs> hey, you um, got yours in China. Mine was in a paper cup. Well, there you go. You're, you're, you're I'm the big man of town, yeah. So, you know, that's... Six million people is Wembley filled a few times over. Oh, God. Now, when you yeah. sit in Wembley and you see 90,000 people and you suddenly think, wow, 100 of these, OK, then that would get you very nervous indeed, so you don't mm-hmm. think about that. But the other thing is that even though I'm only 33, I've been doing telly since I was seven. Yeah. So you learn to basically trust yourself. So you're standing there, you've got no auto cue. It's half your life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. And you, your heart starts to race and you hear the countdown on air in two. And I take a big breath in. I just say, just trust yourself. Just go for it. You know, the words will come to you if you just relax and enjoy it. And, you know, I haven't got the luxury that you get on many other TV shows. You know, you're very much on your own in that pit lane. It's busy. It's loud. The gallery is probably a mile away. You're connected just by this radio wave coming through the air. It's, it's a very unique and very strange experience, and you grow to love that shot of adrenaline. Um, Which is Blue why P- I need this coffee. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. exciting enough for yeah. you. Fair enough. No, you are. You're um, Blue Peter, where you started. I didn't realise mm. that I'm the wrong age. I'm a bit older than you, so obviously I wasn't watching Blue Peter yeah. at the time. That's live television as mm. well, isn't it? And people go, oh, Blue Peter. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually quite a serious job. Yeah, isn't I mean, it? you know, I did Blue Peter for a little while, News Round, you know, loads of decent children's BBC programmes. I mm. presented the live links between the shows, all sorts of things. And I think. Gone. Mm. Continuity. Yeah, continuity, exactly that. And I think what that gives you is, it gives you your air miles, it gives you the time on live television to get used to what you're doing and to prepare yourself. And nothing can prepare you for live telly like doing live telly. Mm. And it used to be a real frustration of mine because you'd you'd feel like you're in the Man United reserve team on CBBC, but you'd never get a chance to play in the first team. So to get my chance on Formula One is, you know, unheard of to go from children's TV to live sport. Why did it happen? How did it happen? um, Well, I just went to the BBC and I said, look, you know, give me an ISDN kit send me off around the country doing football reports Okay. and uh, you know I'm willing to prove to you that I don't just want to come here and be a big shot TV presenter I want to be a journalist I want to be a broadcaster in BBC Sport it's what I always wanted to do
day of my life Swear I was born right in the doorway I went out in the rain, suddenly everything changed They're spreading blankets on the beach Yours is the first face that I saw I think I was blind before I met you And I don't know where I am, I don't know where I've been But I know where I want to go And so I thought I'd let you know Yeah, these things take forever I especially am slow But I realized that I need you And I wondered if I could come home Heard every week on zone1radio.com. Zone1radio.com.